Greetings, ladies and metal gents, and welcome to this narration of the web series, The Lost Terran. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy Part 16. Over the course of the next few days in Jump Space, Banta learned 15 different games from Rick's Senny Scroll. They varied from strategic to purely chance-based, and versus to independent to cooperative. Rick said that he downloaded as much in the way of games as he could get when he had volunteered for this colony mission. Not much chance to get back to the App Store, he said. Manta managed to set up a few automated alerts as tests for themselves, and then tested going to sleep with them set. It had been enlightening, but Manta couldn't place a logical reason as to why it had been that way. Manta had taken some time to try and explain it to the Terran, but Rick said no answers, merely listened and provided some prompting and context for the Terran equivalents. It still helped. Manta also looked at the time to bring up basic runes with Rick's. Rick's had been resistant, but given that a majority of the species used all basic runes to a certain degree, and more advanced runes being more independent on the species involved, he set about learning. To assist, Manto had worked with the mobile printer to produce a basic light-powered screen that was capable of displaying runes and communicating with the scroll, building a basic GUI to allow the Terran to tap the equivalent rune with an associated label hadn't been difficult, but it was certainly much slower than Manto was used to operating. Since they had to think about the Terran's organic needs, needing to size the runes and labels without taking up the whole screen. In the end, Ricks could demonstrate knowing the basics, but tended to refer to the scroll significantly demonstrating more recall of given runes compared to actual knowing of the runes' intent reflexively. Montum understood that this was part of organic learning process, but it was frustrating that the Terran couldn't use something other than that scroll. Montum even asked why Rix didn't possess any cybernetics or implants of his own. Rix had replied that almost nobody who wasn't a flicks had either, unless they were a certain professions, Plus, the TC pilots of any class, anything other than medical implants, were strictly disallowed. TC didn't want pilots becoming reliant on technology over their own skills and instincts, leading to a much longer, more intensive training program than other regions. Montu asked if the TCC had implants. Ricks indicated that while the Plutes considered it, it was too expensive to justify when a worker was lost, since most implants had to be produced unique to the person in question. Between the two of them, they also set about devouring every bit of written information about the galaxy and the respective times. Rix's Ramhound Veterinary Handbook ended up revealing the complete feeding, care and life cycle and more of Reggie, who was still in stasis at this point. Munda was surprised to learn that the Ramhound was a genomic hybrid created to combine a Basset Hound and a Wallaby, both of which were heavily defined as part of the handbook. While heavily docile with Terrans, they were highly proficient and chasing prey towards Terrans for capture. This had made them especially useful in specimen collection on Xeno worlds. The handbook noted that because of their genomic modifications, this is not a fully comprehensive guide, and while Ramhounds were heavily resistant to various oils, acids, slash bases, and even outright chemical poisons, they were not impervious and so should be monitored closely following any specimen collection particularly in less-studied territories. Manta ran a comparison of the Ravhound from the guide with what they recalled of the Galactic Society, and as have been demonstrated by the Terran. Comparatively speaking, Reggie and those like him, if they still existed, were on par with the Terrans, despite their smaller mass, with chemical resistance. Reggie wasn't a long-distance pursuit predator like the Terran, something that Rick said mentioned in comparison, but Ravhounds hadn't been created to be. 
They were intended to help in the colonization of new worlds. Rabhounds matched the vast majority of the galactic society in terms of size, but otherwise outperformed in a majority of metrics. Comparatively, though, they did not possess the necessary degree of neural matter to support more complex thought processes. Muntu felt that this type of uplift was perhaps cruel and expressed this concern with Rix. Rix's face had gotten very dark and had flashed as much more advanced room for volcanic anger. He had then indicated that he cared for Reggie as much as he might a child and that was anything but cruel. Muntu had let the subject drop and returned to reading. Rix had similarly let it drop after several hours. Manta did recall that the TSC had had a significant legal constraints with uplifts, particularly at the genomic level, so perhaps it made sense that Rix would be touchy about such statements. Other topics of discussion were explored naturally, with Rix spending a good chunk of time recounting various stories from his experiences and childhood, Manta gleaning all of the likely factual data from these stories as well as assessing behavioral information of Terrence, until it was time to emerge. Blind enjoyed this quiet posting. It was little more than the outer system station designed to be able to respond to any reasonable local void emergencies. Being a Quinn, this was more than enough excitement for Blind. After all, watching the various debris of the various mining operations saw past, ships passing by, various other Quinn, the strange kinds, doing who knows what with the various mining operations, and even those that had miscalibrated and landed in Blind's little territory of Overwatch. Blind didn't have any real authority per se. In theory they did, but that was only in case of an emergency. It still felt odd to Blind being as far from their homeworld, but this was a successful and above all, a quiet system relative to all others in Quint's space. If nothing else, it was good to be away from all those elders. Elders who insisted on holding massive debates on whom should be mated with whom, whose genomic structures bore the responsibility of carrying a certain traditions, and even what professions one should take. It was as if Quinn's journey into the void had had no impact on the Quinn, as if it were no more interest than the latest evening consumption. No, that wasn't true, thought Blind. The latest evening consumption was of far more interest, especially given all the gossip which had undoubtedly been shared. The system beyond Blind's little corner of it wasn't anything of particular note that Blind was aware of, but they knew all the basic statistics by heart all the same. Their star was a K2-type red supergiant by the name of Nivet, and hadn't been charted in the skies of Quinn Homeworld for over 15,000 years, at least in any sort of reliable stellar maps. There were only five planets, but they were several major debris fields which had likely been planets or at least planetoids at one point or another. At least one debris field he was believed to have been triggered to others, the first of which was likely caused by a random rogue space debris. Two of the remainders were tolerable to Quinn, at least with the right equipment. Being high-gravity worlds and having equivalently high-pressure atmospheres, Quinn often required full support suits in order to be on the surfaces. Not that Quinn would want to be on such worlds without such full-coverage suits. The first was a hot desert of a world, giving rise to thermals, which had inspiration to Quinn's writers, who dreamed of finding worlds where Quinn could fly effortlessly. Alas... The high gravity had given lie to this, and so while the contout and so while the counterweight station of the space elevator was always filled with, with technologies and dreamers, many left the system far more disillusioned than they had entered. The second was in fact a garden world, but one that had little in the way of usable land and associated perches, 
and seemed overly plentiful in water-based creatures who preyed on another readily. So, while the Quinn could in theory float on the water, firstly, one would never do so without being at full support suit, lest their feathers be flattened under the extreme gravity. Secondly, they would almost certainly be eaten in a matter of minutes. A small scientific station sat in orbit on the second tolerable world, content to provide observations of the species who rose and fell on the planet below. Two of the other planets were gas giants and harbored massive refineries and shipping stations in orbits. This was where the bulk of the traffic was when Bine had first arrived in system. They had arrived there and almost immediately felt themselves start to molt at the thought of having to care for the traffic demands from those stations. No, that duty had been given to others, young Quinn who wanted that kind of excitement. Blyne had arrived at their station by a special transport and met the outgoing Quinn by the name of Wrighton. Wrighton was returning to the homeworld for a brooding, their elders having insisted on it. Blyne's elders had no say in Blyne's life, at least not anymore. Blyne had been effectively cast out of their choice and profession, refusing to take up one in the traditional professions of the elders. It had bothered Blyne initially, but seemed to be so far away that Blyne often forgot about such concerns. The normal posting for a Quinn in the station was four months. Blyne had managed a comfortable 18 months without so much as an errant pin feather. Quinn leadership, elders themselves, but not Blyne's elders, had been understandably concerned that Blyne not feel forgotten nor exiled, and so had offered to take them into one of their houses, having demonstrated an adequate loyalty to duty and being remarkably adept at their profession. Blyne had politely refused opting instead to take the occasional trip to the inner portion of the system where more Quinn were, as a kind of reminder as to what they had left behind. Even among the Quinn whose station similarly segmented off the edge of the system in the event of emergencies, Blyne was an oddity, an old-timer as one had put it before leaving after an eighth-month stint, the end of which was being forced upon them as a concern for their behavior. No. Blyne was quite happy to be left alone on the rim of the system along with the final planet, a frozen world that cracked and fractured constantly with various tidal forces brought to the four moons that encircled it. This wasn't to say that Blyne did not want for company, but rather that very often they were all the company they truly needed. Each bimestrial visit inward saw evidence of that. They would often purchase the latest in self-entertainment, even selecting new hobbies with which to occupy the time. The latest fad within Quinn culture was to decorate one's feathers with various beads. There was a trick to doing this, and Blind was still working on it, but had decided to partake in it all the same. It was an interesting fad, at least, compared with the fad of painting one's beak with various entirely unreal colorations. Blind had criticized in the privacy of their own station at seeing it initially hit the market, finding it ridiculous and hardly worth the effort. But it had stuck around for long enough that Blind had decided to try it. The first few attempts had been disasters, which had made Blyne want to tear out the feathers in question, but they had molted out soon enough. In time, Blyne had started getting better, having no skies in which to fly. Their wings had to be exercised in a different ways, and so aerodynamics did not dictate which feathers they used to practice. Blyne had also taken to reading about other species since taking over this posting. Galactic society was big, but at the same time largely insular. Species tended to stick to their own. It wasn't that there weren't stations with other species, and it wasn't even that various species didn't turn up within the systems, typically at shipping docks. It was more simply that species tended to stick to themselves, with the odd xenophile passing through. 
but rarely staying for more than even a year or two, themselves being driven onward to visit other species or to return to their own for various reasons, whether biochemical, medical, politics, or relations. Although, to Blind, the difference between relations and politics had always been a blur in the past. It still chased her, unwilling to let them live their life away from that, but it was a day-to-day part of Quinn's life. It seemed strange to them that the almost 400 years since Quinn had joined the galactic community and taken over custodianship of tent systems, Quinn's culture had changed very little. There had been some new professions added to the traditions, but they were exceptions, not the rule. Only the more adventurous houses permitted such explorations. Proper Quins of proper houses under the stewardship of wise elders took up the traditional professions, changing only when they must. It had taken the Quinn years to adjust to the influx of technologies brought by joining the galactic community to accept that some of the professions had to radically change themselves in the face of certain technologies. Medicine had changed with the arrival of medical scanners, something many Quinn medical professionals had feared would make their professions vanish. Those Quinn who took risks and gambled in taking on new technologies had seen their houses' wealth expand a thousandfold, bringing new entertainments and fads to every community. It annoyed Blind how stuck their house had been in looking at much the new technologies as fads and not seeking to elevate themselves as they should have sought to. But that was the wisdom of the elders, and they had been naught but a youngling, despite being almost 37 at that point. But Blind was here now. The station was Quinn-adapted one, taken from designs passed to the Quinn from the galactic community. This meant that while this was adequate comfortable for Blind and other Quinn, it still bore the hallmarks of having been built for another species, or perhaps by another one. Blind had never been too certain as to whether the station had been built by their people, or if another species had specialized in that. There was a constructor near the shipping station and the refining station, but it would have taken almost a year of constant output from the refining station to build a single shipping station, and while it was possible to upgrade the refining station, the Quinn who ran it were slow to make those changes, preferring instead to ensure adequate resources from when emergencies did arise or to capitalize on the need for ready refined products in the nearby system. Blind could see the logic of this, but thought that it would be wiser for the station to focus on expansion at the same time setting aside enough out of the output to expand and improve. Blind knew that it was likely more complicated than that, there being all manner of trade agreements that likely needed fulfillment and similar, but those had never been a particular concern for Blind. And today was just another average day for Blind. They had awakened in their nest of dried Rixburg leaves, dined lightly on standard hibernation stored mealworms, and exercised their wings before moving to their station. There was little traffic in the quadrant today. Odd miners who scanned for material-rich space debris and then collected a low for a long haul in the process. Typically houseless like Blind, but respectable in their own way. Each of them knew Blind, knew of Blind's responsibilities to watch over this area of the void. Several had inquired about cohorting or perhaps bonding, even if only temporary. Blind had politely refused each case. Some of the Quern had taken it less well than others, but none had committed to anything formal over the refusal. In theory, at least, nothing could be done formally from one of the houseless to another, but that also meant that the protections of the elders was that much less. This, too, had bothered Blind initially, but given the peaceful nature of most Quinn, they did not feel that it was worth molting over, and it should have just been a quiet day, too. Except for the Flash. There was no mistaking an FTL transition, 
but this one was as bright as though blind was anchored just off the star, not in the outer system. What happened next was almost disturbing. Every sensor on board the station screamed, hitting minimum and maximum limits in matters of seconds. Every computing station flickered, and even the superstructure of the station seemed to shudder, despite no obvious connection between the disturbing bright light and station. Had Blind not been at their station, they'd have no idea what was happening. Even standing at their station, they had no idea what manner of craft it might be. They were only able to gauge by eye as to just how far away the flash was, the screens and sensors being utterly overwhelmed by, uh, whatever it was. And then, it was over. The flash was gone, and the systems all read as normal. And in the space where the flash had been was a large seed-shaped ship that was over half the size of Blind Station. End of chapter. Chapter 17. Unidentified vessel, identify yourself immediately. Repeat, unidentified vessel, identify yourself immediately. Was Blind's immediate communications prompt. The large seed-shaped ship was massive, and it was by no means a capital ship. But Blyne had never seen anything like it. It didn't look like any cargo or mining vessel that Blyne had ever seen. Playing the station sensors over the vessel, the vessel seemed to be far heavier and far more shielded than was standard. Blyne wondered if perhaps a company's prototype of some kind had just shown up. Perhaps there would be a reward or a death warrant. Eldest of the highest technological families were very particular about who knew about their developments, assuming that it was a Quint design which Blind was quick to start doubting as should the sensors revealed chambers 50% larger than those aboard the station. Why would another species be testing their prototype so close to Kun's space? Was this some kind of malfunction, or was this intended as some kind of first strike? The communications prompt recycled the game and again, but no answer came. The vessel appeared to shudder slightly and glow like a star for a moment, but stationary. After that moment, it returned to normal. The sensors capturing the event twitched, but gave no indication as to what had just happened. A laser communication connected. Now, sincerest apologies on our unexpected close arrival. Vessel reports TSS Esperanto, Captain Brixham commanding. Tacit Munto 41972 translating. Please reply with lexicon. Came the text readout. Blind shook her feathers twice. A, a tacit? That wasn't on itself. And what's more, a tacit being here. Tacits were rare and typically only present at major species gatherings. Out of 100,000 vessels that could pass through a system, perhaps one would be a tacit. But blind systems would have automatically understood what a tacit looked like, and it should not have taken that long for the tacit to respond. Blind's pin feathers felt fuzzy as they sent over the local lexicon. SSS Par Unto, is it? This is Naivit Solar Ranger Station 3. Please identify status. Blind sent back, vocally via the laser link. TSS Esperanto reports, no casualties, no hardware malfunctions. Origin 371Z.28711E.271910Q reported the text. It took Blind a full two minutes to punch that origin code, it being fully formed origin code, not the abbreviated ones that had come to know well. When Blind saw the origin point, they knew this had to be a very special prototype of some kind. No known ship could cross that kind of distance without stopping for a recharge, especially one for that magnitude. Even if a good chunk of the vessel was dedicated to storage, which the vessel could have been, but given the shielding, Blind had no way of knowing. TSS Esperanto Captain speaks voice communications. Live translation via text is available. Does Nivet Solar Ranger Station 3 accept? Came the follow-up text. 
Brian was still very confused, but perhaps this was how whomever controlled that system operated with tacits. Having never dealt with one and only had heard stories about them, they had no real answers. I accept, Brian's vocalized to the link. Hello there, I am Rexa. I come in peace, was a strange sound that was emitted. Hello there, my designation is Rix. Translation note, Captain Rixum. I arrive with no ill intentions towards yourself, was a matching readout. I am Station Master Blyne of the Quinn. To which species am I communicating? Blyne was slightly annoyed at having to be more formal, but given the legendary translation of the Tacit, they didn't want to be any less than exacting. Terran or human, depending on who you're talking to. What's a Quinn, M? The strange sounds continued. Species designation, Terran extinct. Inquiry to Tacit regarding species designation. Quinn was the readout. Blind shook their tail feathers. Extinct species was allegedly on the other end of this. What kind of joke was this? I do not appreciate the attempted humor. Please provide the appropriate species name, Blind muttered into the voice link, perhaps a bit more stuffily than it intended. Species designation, Terran. Extinct status appears to be in error. Docking requested. Species tolerance within 2% of four atmosphere and normal Quinn gravity gave the text readout without sounds. What about uh, quarantine procedures? Blind had to take a moment to think of them. They hadn't needed it in so long that they were surprised they remembered it. One moment, please. Blind tried to think about what they could do if this Terran, whatever that was, wanted to dock. And what did they want to dock for? Were they lost? Out of fuel for whatever their system was. There were some medical tools available on the station, but they were little more than stabilizing systems and stasis with automated distress systems. Identify reason for docking request, Blind tried. Captain wishes to meet a Quinn. Xenophiles were unusual, but it would be fairly odd to have one in charge of a secret prototype, at least in Blind's opinion. One would think that a xenophobe would be much more oriented to keeping such technologies internal so as to capitalize on it for their use. Even the xenophiles who came through the inner systems were little more than menials, working for the benefit of being able to see the universe such as it is. Is Nyad's solar ranger system equipped for level 2 portable medical fields? Blind had to search their computer. In theory, the ranger station was supposed to be able to function as a fully independent surgical center. In practice, most of the necessary gear was out of date or in need of repair. A portable medical field generator was a heavy piece of gear that could provide an area of effect sterilization zone. It tended to require skilled users in order to set it up though, and the level 2 was of the heavy duty variety. Blind was lucky there. Heavy duty for a Quinn was usually just enough compared to galactic standards, at least on a biochemical context. That meant that any portable medical field that would be aboard would almost certainly be a level 2. It took several further minutes, but they located that it should be in far docking bay. Level 2 portable medical field generator on board. I don't know its status, though. Blind vocalized without thinking about it. Understood. Awaiting status update. TSS Esperanto station keeping at position. Blind tapped their way down the corridors, their claws scrapping a bit at the speed of their passage. This would be so much faster if they could fly. But these walls weren't big enough for flying without risking their wingtips. Upon reaching the far docking bay, it took more than 30 minutes to locate the container holding the portable field generator. Sadly, it was on the top shelf that weighed more than Blind. Blind glanced at the loader. Technically, they had been trained for it. Technically, they could use it. Realistically, there was something about the loader that bothered Blind. It just looked wrong, almost terrifying to Blind. Something in how it was constructed, perhaps. Carefully, Blind climbed into the loader and checked the power cells. It was low, but should work for as long as they needed it. 
It took them another full ten minutes to get the loader into position and began lifting down the container. It was also then that one of the primary pistons froze. Blind as spared, they couldn't shift the generator and they certainly weren't repair qualified to try and fix the loader. Blind shut down the loader, locking it in place as best as they were able to, and sped their way back to the command station. Station 3 calling TSS Esperanto, they vocalized. TSS Esperanto receiving. Generator unavailable due to hardware issues. I wouldn't be able to set it up even if I could get it down, Blind said, pin feathers feeling smooth. There were a few moments before the next message came in, just long enough for Blind to wonder if the message had been received. Generator malfunction or generator location relative to airlock control docking bay. What? What's that supposed to mean? Was Blind's automatic vocalization. Please identify nature of generator non-availability. It's stuck on the loader in the docking bay. I can't move it myself, and it's locked into the loader anyway. Blind's pin felt fuzzy again. Another few moments passed. Loader, vacuum related. What? Why? Blind felt even more confused. No update came as a result of the query. Blind took a moment to think. Yes, technically the loader was vacuum rated, but they never operated it in a vacuum before, and maintenance of the loader was supposed to be done in atmosphere in any case. Maybe this Esperanto had a loader of some auto repair system they could help and keep the quarantine exposure risk low. The captain, or the tacit, wanted to try working in the vacuum. He was surprisingly forward thinking. Blind was intrigued by this was more than they considered it. Um, yes, the loader is technically vacuum rated. I've never used it that way before, though. Blind vocalized after a bit. Understood. Please approve approach for docking to related docking bay. Jan, prepare for depressurization in docking bay. Copy all. I guess I'll see you in a few then, Blind said, tapping the right authorization codes and sending them. The station were already beginning to wake up at the distant docking bay mechanisms and checking the airlocks. Blind then connected their headset, an audio-visual device which acted as a kind of heads-up display, to the communication system. It wasn't imperfect and Blind hated to use it, but in order to work this kind of coordination between the station and the Esperanto, whatever it was, they would need to have a live communications, especially while in the loader. Blind hurried down and climbed into the loader, depressing the buttons to enclose the loader around them. Already, Blind could feel the claustrophobia getting to them. The power was still low, but manageable. Toggling the remote airlock and depressurization control from the heads-up display, Blind watched as the chamber around them seemed to have a spur of wind before going silent. For just that moment of wind, Blind wanted to be planetside again, floating in the air, feeling the wind in her feathers. And just like that, the moment was gone and Blind turned back to the task at hand. Through the feet of the loader, Blind felt the heavy clunks of the docking arms engaging. It wouldn't be long now. It wasn't going to be the first exposure to Xeno species, merely a rarity in their experiences. Turning their head to look at the docking airlock, Blind waited to see what stepped through. The simple mechanical walking frame made Blind almost instantly sigh with relief. They weren't going to be trapped inside the stoder facing a Terran, something that Tacit had apparently mislabeled as extinct. However, when the massive figure began to emerge from behind the walking frame, Blind wanted to panic. Yet... It was too big to be an organic, right? It had to be. It had been some kind of cargo walking frame, like a smart version of the walking frame. Blind tried to calm down, but couldn't seem to as a massive figure approached the loader with the walking frame. The figure gestured at the loader and at the equipment, apparently talking with the walking frame via some sort of direct communications. The walking frame moved up and appeared to look at the loader, possibly scanning it. No, whatever the massive figure was, it was no machine. 
That much was obvious. It was then that the massive figure jumped and reached out towards the container holding the medical field generator. The jump had to have been mechanically assisted. Even Blind couldn't jump like that in static gravity. Blind checked the loader's readings and confirmed that there was still standard gravity outside, even if there was no atmosphere. Blind considered the figure, bipedal, two upper limbs with grips that looked like very belonged to a heavily specialized loader or repair system, a fully reflective helmet hiding the face of the being, whatever the being was. It was different from anything Blind had ever encountered, even in their exploration of fictional species. The walking frame, mostly unnoticed, had gone over to the nearby station panel and plugged itself in. It wasn't until Blind got a message via the heads-up display that they realized that the walking frame had connected in. Please identify issue with Loda. Are you in here with me? Blind asked, aware of the reported abilities of Tacits. Only to an extent required, came the mechanical voice. Uh, hello? Blind said, or caught off guard by the voice. I am Manto, the other being is the Esperanto's captain, Rix. Please allow us to assist you with your loader. The mechanical voice said, and the heads-up display flashed a ruin for pleasant greeting. I, uh, one of the pistons is stuck. I'm not rated in loader repair. Blind managed, taking a moment to digest the rune. They hadn't used runes in so long, it took a second to remember the meaning. The walking frame apparently communicated this to the large figure, which moved closer to the loader. The large figure then drew back an upper appendage and hit one of the pistons. The hit made the whole loader shudder, Blind feeling as though they had just been struck as the loader had been. Please try to lower the container now, the mechanical voice said, as a large figure stepped back out of the way. Blind was skeptical and kept the eye on the large figure, depressing the lever to lower the container. The piston which had stuck slid smoothly downwards this time and the container rested on the floor. We will set up the generator if you are unable to or we can return to our vessel until you have enabled it, the voice of Blind knew as Manto, the tacit, said. I wouldn't know the first thing about it, Blind admitted, backing the loader as far away from the large figure as possible. Very well, I will need to disconnect, but you can begin refilling the space with standard atmosphere once I signal you, Munter said. Blind watched in a kind of stunned silence as the walking frame went over and opened the locks to the container, apparently too small for the larger being to manipulate in their pressure suit. The larger being manipulated the container as though it was little more than an annoyance. The walking frame plugged into the container contents, a Quinn standard portable medical field generator. It wasn't one of the self-powered varieties, which Blind noted as the large figure took a cable from beside the generator and walking it to the outlet in the side of the bay. It took far less time than Blind expected, but the walking frame appeared to manipulate the generator far faster than they ever might have. The silvery light of the active generator began to gently fill the bay. The walking frame waved at Blind and Blind triggered the pressurization sequence. The walking frame and the large figure appeared to just stand in place, waiting for the air to return. The large figure made some vague gestures, ones that Blind couldn't follow, but it seemed that the walking frame of the tacit and the large figure were communicating, none of which made in direction of Blind. Once the air returned, Blind unlocked the loader from vacuum mode and switched it off, climbing down. The large figure had removed their helmet and was looking at Blind intensely. When Blind looked over, Blind screeched in alarm and collapsed. End of chapter. Chapter 18. Blind opened their eyes, slowly. Dried Rixburg leaves greeted them. That was good. It was all a dream, a nightmare, but a dream all the same. Blind rose, stretched their wings, looking around the room, the dream weariness still hiding in their joints. 
The room was the same as it always was. Blind decided to head up to the command station just to reassure themselves before eating breakfast. The command station was in its normal state except her. There was a ship docked and the time readout had to be wrong. Blind's hearts began to race. Had it actually happened, had they seen what they'd actually thought they'd seen? A giant mammalian predator with teeth perfect for tearing apart a being like herself, the stuff of nightmares of naughty children of every house. The communication station pinged and Blind glanced over. Good to see you awakened, the text read and the ruins for genuine concern and social happiness flashed with it. What? What happened? Blind wanted to reconstruct all of what occurred. You collapsed upon seeing Captain Ricks. He, translation nope, Dioecious, gonocharistic physiognomy, took you to your resting quarters after a basic scan revealed yourself to be under stress-induced blackout. What is Captain Ricks? Blind asked. Species designation Terran. You said that, but what is he? Blind pressed. I believe this will go faster if you tell me what you are wanting to know, came the mechanical voice. Firstly, where is he? Blind's eyes darted to the door to the command deck. He is aboard the Esperanto. He does not mean to harm you, Manto said. But he fixes loaders by hitting them extremely hard, Blind recalled. Percussive maintenance is a known skill of Terrans, Manto said, flashing a rune for making a statement that appears to be a joke but is established. And, and, those eyes. Blind wanted to puff their feathers and go after this Captain Rix's talons first. This was an unusual feeling for Blind as Quinn are normally peaceful, but there was something about this, uh, Terran that made Blind instinctively want to fight. That is a standard appearance of a Terran, Manta said. He can wear an appropriate head covering if it would cause you less stress. Blind thought about it for a moment and fixed their feathers. No, it wouldn't do much good. I still know what the face looks like underneath at this point, Blind said. Understandable. Please state your next inquiry. How did you know I had one? Blind asked. You're an organic in a predictably off-footing situation without resorting to baser instincts. It is a reasonable assumption, Manter said. I thought tacits were self-piloted. Is that not true? Blind decided on trying to stay away from the Terran in the metaphorical room. Due to an unfortunate series of events, my core was relocated to the Esperanto from myself. I am currently operating suboptimally as a result, Manter replied. Does this have anything to do with whatever tech you used to get you from your origin point? It must be some kind of super secret tech if it can go that far in one sprint. Blind wasn't hopeful for any information, but tried anyway. The technology is outside of my understanding, but it is considered legacy technology due to its age, Munter replied. How come I've never heard of a drive being capable of doing something like that then? Blind asked. Because the society to which the technology belonged no longer exists, and the species to which the technology was invented was declared erroneously extinct approximately 300 years ago. So it's kind of a... Archaeotech? I think that's the right term. Blind tried to think back to the last round of books that they had read about searching for advanced technologies in scientifically improbable settings. That is a reasonable approximate term, particularly given the age of the Esperanto, Manto said. How old is it? Blind asked, in a patently obvious follow-up. 957 years, two months, three days since the first initiation of the fusion core for service, Manto said, spelling it out in text as well. I didn't think Tassus got that old. Blind's voice trailed off, staring at the number. We don't. I only recently discovered the TSS Esperanto approximately four weeks ago according to shipboard chronometer. 12.5 weeks ago according to stellar chronometer counts, Manto said, listing up both time approximations. How is this possible? It doesn't even make sense, 
Blind thought back to the FTL course that they had taken in order to become a station master. Temporal compression is an artifact of the Archaeotect. Manto displayed a normal temporal compression diagram for sublight speeds and the associated equations. So, uh, what's your ship and this Terran been doing for 900-something years? Is the Captain Rix that old? Captain Rix was a part of a colony fleet heading to the system approximately 955 years ago. Due to an issue experienced underway, the Esperanto did not reach this system. Captain Rix has been in stasis since the accident. That's not possible. Hibernation chambers are only rated for up to 150 years. Correct. Captain Rix was in a stasis chamber, not a hibernation chamber. That's more Archaeotech. Technically, no. It is a known technology that relies on less reliable components, and it is only due to the durability and reinforced nature of the Esperanto that Captain Rix was able to survive. So, what does he want? To meet you. Due to the differences in galactic society between when he entered stasis and currently, he has never met a Xeno species. Blind shook their feathers twice and then laughed, their beak hanging open slightly to coo slightly in amusement. An unknown nightmare of Xeno species from across time and space wants to meet me, Ryan managed after an almost full minute of laughing. That is correct. For what it's worth, you're taking it a bit better than I did. Munto flashed a ruin for truthful statement. Okay, but I'm trusting you, Tacit Munto. The large figure, Blind knew now to be a Terran, was lounging on a pad next to the medical fuel generator. It, he, looked smaller than he had when he first was in the pressure suit. But he was still comparatively massive. Perhaps Terrans appeared bigger, but didn't actually weigh as much as Blind guessed they might be in their configuration. Maybe the clothing was cut to make the Terran appear bigger. That would make sense. Blind relaxed as they approached the Terran to see the Terran was manipulating a device of some kind. It was a simple interface, but it appeared to be providing some kind of feedback to the Terran. The Terran looked over at Blind and fixed them with the same intense look. Knowing it was coming, Blind fought the urge to screech and flee again. It still took all of their hold to not spread wide and appear as big as possible. The Terran Rix pointed at a device on the floor near the device and Blind looked away from the Terran momentarily to see that it was a heads-up display. It appeared to have been modified slightly, the computation pack having an additional module connected to it. Blind looked to Rooks and noted the Terran was holding the device that had previously been manipulating in both hands. This, Rooks, was still seated on the pad. Rooks looked down at the device and appeared to touch something. A blank screen on the Terran's garment flashed with a ruin for polite greeting, followed by calm patience. It wasn't perfect, but Blind understood. The Terran really was from afar back. Then, of course, they couldn't manage anything without some kind of translation help. Naturally, that was one of Blind's major nitpicks about so many interspecies novellas. They were all able to perfectly communicate all the time. Even with the help of the Tacits, interspecies communication was still almost staggeringly difficult. At least between species who were enough different. Between similar species, it was a bit easier. But even then, it was still difficult because of cultural context. Blindfeld's flash of sympathy for the xenophile who had to figure out how to manage without any kind of real translation help, like a tacit. Watching the Terran, Blind donned her heads-up display and switched it on while sitting down near the Terran. I will try and assist in translation between you two, the text read out. Greetings, Terran Captain Rix, Blind decided on the most formal opening. Ah, fair winds, Quinn Station Master Blind, Rix tried, tapping the rune for formal greeting. The voice modulation and the heads-up display, accompanied by a matching text readout, helped Blind. 
What brings you to my station from across time and space? Line asked, half-jokingly. I'm looking for the colony of Terrans who are supposed to be here. Have you seen them, or any signs of them? Rix tapped the ruin for mission statement. Blind was confused. This Terran was looking for the other Terrans. Did this Rix not know where their species' territory was? Now the members are your species supposed to be in the system? Blind asked. Rix consulted the device he held and looked back at Blind. Yes, approximately 900 years ago, I was a part of a colony convoy aiming for the system. I am looking for them, Rix replied. Well, there are no Terrans here. I have never even heard of a Terran. So, they wouldn't be in one of the other local systems either, Blind answered. Rix made a kind of chuffing sound that made Blind's pins feel fuzzy again. Rix noticed this and tapped the rune for fatalistic humor experienced flashed. You're not the first person, being, to mention that to me. Is that the only reason you are here? Blind asked. It's a start. There's a lot I don't know, but I figured I'd try to locate some Terrans or at least figure out what happened. Nobody seems to know why they're listed as extinct, Rix said gesturing vaguely. Correct statement, Tassadnet provided no particular reference regarding reasons for Terran extinction. Scrolled the text across, Blind's heads-up display. So you're looking for our species, sorry, your species, except it's supposed to be extinct, but nothing says why, Bly asked. Rix looked at the device and appeared to smile. It sounds like a strange kind of mystery, doesn't it? Rix continued smiling. More like impossible, Blind said flatly. Rix looked at the tablet again before continuing. Nevertheless, it's all I have. Well, that and the Esperanto. But that won't do me much good unless I can figure out what else to do, Rick said, tapping a rune for resignation of attitude. I do not believe that I can assist you, but I will try. What manner of assistance do you require? Blind prompted, falling back into the profession roots. I could use a, uh, M, what's it called again? Galactic net connection? Rick started speaking to Blind, but appeared to trail off in talking to the listening tacit. Brian had momentarily forgotten that Tassett was facilitating this conversation. You mean a girl net link? You don't have one of those? Brian looked at the Terran rather incredulously. Rix looked back at the device, then looked back at Brian. That's right. Host dates me by a few hundred years, don't you know? Rix flashed. Hilarious rhetorical. Standard Quinn autofabricators should possess access to cargo vessel great girl net linkages. Scrolled the text to Brian from Munto. Yes. But it would probably be easier just to get one from further in system, Blind muttered. Due to the aforementioned quarantine needs and lacking adequate medical data on impact on both Terran and other species as a result of interactions, particularly biomechanical and microorganisms, it would be most advisable to limit Rix's exposure to other species at this time. The long-worded text swelled out, filling the whole HUD, nearly making Blind's eyes cross. Okay, okay, fair. We'll see what we can do. I don't hardly use my autofab except for mandatory equipment, Blind said, rising to their feet, stretching their wings. Pending inquiry from Rix, are you Kun Tib, Terran equivalent of male, or a Kun Bir, a Terran equivalent of female? So, are you male or female of your species, Rix asked, also rising and immediately towering over Blind. Blind was uncertain as to how to process this. The split-second text from Munto had given them enough time to begin the process to query mentally before the Terran asked it. It wasn't an unreasonable question, or so blind stories included. But it was strange to have opposed to you yourself, compared to book characters. I am a Quinn Byer, Terran equivalent of female, but I am houseless, Blind said, rather more affirmatively than she'd felt for most of the conversation. Rick splashed a rune for confusion. Houseless? Do you Terrans not live in houses? It was now Blind's turn to be confused. We do, well, some of us, Rick said. Munto appeared to flash the same ruin to both Rix and Blind, 
cultural misunderstanding. Both Ricks and Blind started their own versions of laughter. Apparently, translating between the two organics was a bit harder than Munter had realized. End of chapter. Chapter 19 So, what did she think of me? Ricks asked once they're back aboard the Esperanto. I do not believe Station Master Blind is quite as afraid of you now. I appreciate that you took my advice regarding not showing your teeth, Munter said, wandering behind with the walking frame, feeling less and less sink lost between themselves and the walking frame itself. Using the Quinn Station as a loop through to the walking frame had helped, but it required a hardline connection. Munter looked at the station. It was a serviceable station, a bit on the lower side that Munter might have expected, but functional for organics particularly one station at the edge of a system to respond to emergencies. There were 38 subsystems I were due for overhaul, 10 systems which were likely to fail in the next year unless major action was taken, and another 5 that needed power down for Munter to even begin to ascertain their status, suggesting that they hadn't been operated in a substantial length of time. Munter opted to investigate some of what the station knew about Station Master Blind. Of the 271 different Quinn to have boarded this particular station, Station Master Blind had the most time on platform to date, with one exception, Master Mechanic Tyxis. Blind was of no house within the Quinn Union, with the record showing limited communications with Quinn of almost any house outside the associated business communications. Manto needed to know more about the Quinn in general, so they tapped into their gull-neck link and copied down the organic-type guide to the Quinn species. It felt ridiculous, but without a connection to Tacitnet, it was as good as Manto could hope for. It took them several minutes of review. Blind was apparently not antisocial, but did not seek out the same level of social bonding than most members of the species. She did not appear to express any obvious xenophobic or xenophilic tendencies other than the instinctive fear reaction to the Terran, who apparently looked enough like a predator to invoke such a reaction. She appeared to be well-groomed, but appeared to have some extraneous fashion accessories on her feathers. Without going into more advanced search, Mondo could only guess at the reasoning behind the accessories, particularly as some of them would appear to impair the natural flight ability of a Quinn. Not excessively, but certainly decreasing maximum capability. Blind was in the middle age of a species, medically assisted Quinn having a maximum lifespan of no greater than 90 years, with exceptionally few exceptions. According to the station logs, she was a creature of habit, maintained a strict regimen and functioning adequately in her duties, Communications and reports were businesslike and only contained limited issues that were likely overlooked due to linguistic shift that Munter was unaware of compared with the lexicon provided. Munter looked deeper at the Quinn and the system in particular. The Quinn had set up the system almost instantly upon having reached the stars and having been greeted by the galactic community. Even though they were slow to react technologically, they had seized upon the need to control an adequate volume of space for their species to grow. Unfortunately, through a bureaucratic and exploratory blunder, they had filed a claim to the system prior to determining the status of the two habitable worlds. In truth, both worlds would be much more tolerable to Terrans, if Ricks was any judge, with reasonable pre-planning for the associated colonial needs. Even the more watery planet filled with predators would likely be reasonable to the Terrans if the stories that Ricks had told about Terrasol were even slightly true. Rick said even claimed that the grand sculptures of Mars had made an entire city of glass from the native sand. Mondo could not verify this since they had no listing of Mars in their local data. But it was not unreasonable feat given the right materials. That though, it was likely to have been less of a city and more of a monument of some kind. Turning back to the Quinn, 
Their culture appeared to be centric on a type of carentocracy. The reasons for this were unclear in the guide, as it was a cultural hang-up that had persisted with the Quinn into the void. Very few Quinn traveled much beyond their declared space, and those that did were often houseless or traders. The Quinn had elevated themselves into the void, where the galactic community had quickly visited and shared many of the common technologies which should have been revolutionary to the Quinn of the time. Montes scanned the whole of the document but found no reference as to whether the Terrans were present or not. The Terrans would still have been in existence, so it wasn't impossible that the Quinn might have met Terrans. It was not recorded in this reference, though. The Quinn were typically fairly conservative culture, moving slowly forward within the only occasional leap forward. This was not surprising given their garantocracy. But the foundation of new houses was a rarity and typically marked an equivalent technological, social, and medical shift within the culture. Presently, three of the older houses of the Quinn were in decline, the leadership opting to press to stay within more traditional confines. Consequently, five of the youngest houses of the Quinn were on the rise, competing primarily with each other than with the other more established houses. This was apparently due to the younger houses focusing on void-based enterprises and professions instead of professions of more close to Quinn societal norms. The nearest other full-status species to the Quinn were the Remblex, a quadrupedal reptilian species which was exceptionally isolationist even by galactic terms, than the Myriad, which had more difficulty than most species in terms of adapting their vessels to support both their aquatic dwelling needs as well as their life support. The Quinn were not pacifistic, but they were not overly aggressive outside food and mating. Since their integration into the galactic community, only minor skirmishes had occurred, and those had been described as resulting from miscommunications, resulting from mismatched lexicons and linguistic drift. Manto looked back at the station master. She appeared to be moving rapidly through the station, but in a repetitive way. While this was not energy efficient, it was an apparent need to purge the need to move and flee away from the predator Terran. Manto decided to prompt Blind via the heads-up display that she was still wearing. Are you undergoing a distressing event following meeting Captain Rick's... I... I am? How is he so big? She replied. Uncertain evolutionary passes to suggest development on a low habitability world of high gravity and significant competition leading to the need for social cooperation and selective mating supporting ongoing evolutionary pressures. Which, uh, means what? Terrans could likely easily inhabit both the semi-habitable worlds within the inner portion of the system without obvious needs or enhancements or specialty tools. Long-term habitation would require some support, but would not require special considerations. So, what he said about looking for a colony, correct. He was part of the Terran colony convoy to the system. As a result of the technology involved, I am unable to ascertain as to how best to locate similar vessels. I... I've never heard of anything having been discovered here. Are you sure it was here? Captain Ricks programmed the coordinates based on memory and confirmed with an offline databank to which I do not have access. How long did Terrence naturally live? Is it possible they all died out and their stuff just got destroyed? Based on limited available records and anecdotal evidence from Captain Ricks, Terrence naturally lived to greater than 110 years old and could be medically assisted to live up to as long as 240 years. Really? How old is Captain Ricks? Unknown. It has never come up in conversation. Based on anecdotal evidence, though, I suggest that Captain Ricks is approximately 45 Terran years old biologically. Well, given what those two worlds are like, I'd have a hard time believing that any species could last that long on them naturally, unless they're born to it, even then. Concur with the assessment. 
However, given the construction of the TSS Esperanto as a baseline, it is highly likely that some ruins would have even remained if the colony had been established as planned. I've read the scan reports. Best of the Quinn scanners. There's almost nothing there. Even the resource extractors can barely use them. We mostly use them for science and atmosphere on the inner system. Given current technological level of Quinn vessels equipped to conduct such scans from orbit, it is likely that they did not miss something then. Then, where are your Terrans supposed to be? Uncertain. Any idea why he wants the connection to Galnet? None at all. Can he read Galactic Standard at least? No. I have got him to ruins and that's as far as I've managed so far. Is he capable of learning Galactic Standing writing? Most likely, but due to his species' age, it is unlikely that he will absorb it as readily as a younger member of the species might. Good. No offense, but it's a little creepy having you doing the translation all the time. No offense, registered. Translation services are a major component of tacit culture. But you're not in your ship, right? Correct. Why not? Manta waited for a full 30 seconds, trying to gauge how best to describe the problem statement to Blind. Following some queries regarding Terrans and potential sensory gaps, I was reported as malfunctioning and requiring a major repair, up to the including a reformulation. As a part of this, Rix reached the conclusion that it is unreasonable for Terrans to have been declared extinct without a clear and valid reason, and that my inquiries and subsequent reports as malfunctioning is intended to eliminate himself and to silence my inquiries. Monto allowed Blyne a few moments to absorb this wall of text. I do not know why this would be. But a process within myself supports Rix's conclusions. So, are you two some kind of fugitives? Not in the context in which you would be familiar. Well, explain it then. Rix is wanted for recovery into a state of protective custody. Inquiries for details or further information have been rejected prior to disconnection from Tazidnet. I am likely sought by Tazidnet in order to determine my functional status. This is not an unusual status, but not being located within myself is an unusual status. What... What happened to the rest of you? Uncertain. Docking clamps are all that remains from our FTL translation. Given the energies involved, it is possible that the rest of myself was destroyed. Oh no! While this is not a common occurrence, once the miscommunications have been resolved regarding Rix's Terran status, by non-malfunctioning, I'll be installed into a new self. But still, your concern is appreciated. Blind had stopped moving, and appeared to be breathing heavily as if needing to recover from having been active for this duration. Do you have duties to which you need to attend? Not really. I mean, I need to watch the scopes, but you two are a lot more interesting than any scopes. Hey, Em, can you check to see if she's having anything regular I can eat? Captain Rix has an interjection. He requests to know what manner of foods you have and if you are willing to share. Of course I have extra. Have to in case somebody comes in and has to stay a while. Like you two might be. Or at least until you two have a gullnet link. But, uh, what does the Terran eat? Almost anything, if they are hungry enough, or so Rix tells me. Okay, well, uh, I don't mind sharing my mealworms, if he's okay with that. What are your feelings regarding mealworms? Ew, what? Like bugs? <sighs> I don't do bugs, Em, no way. I'm a star confederate, not some TCC sap. He does not appear to be enthused about this meal option. Perhaps if you could provide a list, I can attempt to discern what he would be more willing to consume. I'm guessing neither of you has heard of a thing called polite rejection, then. I am not as familiar with the Ganics as most tacits, and Rix is most likely suffering from psychological effects, but you're overriding his more tactful social skills. Internally, Manto added, I hope, to that statement, but wasn't certain where the Terran was concerned. 
Rix tended to have the social skills of a rogue black hole skimming through a soda system so far in Manto's experience. He wasn't unaware of himself, but he was also relatively obtuse when it came to choices of words. Maybe so, but that is no excuse for not having manners. I apologize, but I cannot speak for Rix. It is also worth noting that there may be a biochemical items which Rix may or may not be able to consume. Fair enough, I guess. I'll send my standard food list over the common system. I'll do that before I try and figure out how to get the autofabricator set up. Your assistance is a credit to yourself. Blind had started to walk towards the command deck and stopped, having a small version of a laugh that she and Rix had had earlier. May I ask what is funny? It's just been a long time since I think anyone has said that to me. For Quinn, it's all about being credit to your elders or a credit to your house. By contrast, for Terrence, it appears to be much more in favor to credit to oneself while being a credit to one's community. Huh. Well, either way, thank you, Tacit Manto. Just Manto. End of chapter. Chapter 20. So what kind of trade do we need to work out for the Skullnet Link? Rix asked. Given that it is likely no more than a simple matter, an energy feed to the autofabricator, similar to the onboard portable printer, I do not expect there to be any request for trade, Montes said. The pair were back aboard the Esperanto, and Rix had a gravity set to his normal, which meant that the walking frame wasn't going much of anywhere in a hurry. Got a plan to trade. It's wrong to expect help and not have anything to offer in trade. At least if it's not essential. What did you have in mind? Montes prompted. I guess I was thinking about maybe some data files, maybe some Terran entertainment, Rick said, and appeared to think further. Nah, given a reaction, Terran entertainment would probably be like uh, watching an ultra horror movie. I would concur with that assessment, but I am unable to confirm as to why that would be, given the limited information regarding Quinn, Mantu said, rebrowsing the guide to Quinn in the background. So what is a Quinn? The station master, uh, she, right? Ricks asked. Hands frozen in mere mid-gesture, waiting for the confirmation rune from the walking frame. She's like a, a, a kind of bird, right? Manta took a moment to compare this particular word against the lexicon of Terran. Interestingly, Blind was both a feathered avian being and, to refer to the guide and the lexicon simultaneously, a beautiful female type of the Quinn. In a manner of speaking, that is not entirely incorrect assessment, it is exceedingly simplified, and I would advise caution in describing Station Master Blind as such. While I have no reason to suppose that such language would necessarily be considered a slur, there is a non-zero chance that it would be construed as such, Manta replied. Rooks appeared to be thoughtful for a few moments. Weird though, meaning a Zeno and she's a burr, a quin. Please explain how the situation is weird as you describe it. I never really figured I'd meet as full sapient Zeno. Off-world wallabies, Xenohounds, hounds, even some ostrich-like critters on Phyrexa. It's just never seemed like a real possibility. But with all the worlds we've already settled, Rick shrugged and leaned back. Based on the available information I have retained, given the size and space of normal time, continuum, and the species as well as the great filters, it was by virtue of Terran intervention that a number of species have reached the stars, having been elevated artificially to even coexist within same-slash-similar time frame. Mantu flashed a rune for Entropic Demise, which Rix took a moment to look up. So what do you get a Quinn, especially one who lives this far out? Rix eventually asked. Given the information provided by the station database, I believe some simple Quinn anemones would be welcome. Failing that, I do not have any suggestions. Well, given all the concern over germs and viruses and the like, we probably don't want to wander around too many people unless we have to, Rix nodded. 
It may be possible for me to collect some samples from you and have Blind scan them to determine if any biological concern arises between naturally occurring biochemistries as well as microorganisms, Munda suggested. What good would that do? It would allow me to establish a baseline for healthy microorganisms within your system as well as providing a baseline between whether you can be around others without a sterilization field, Munto explained. So don't get sick, or so they don't. Both. Both of those are potential concerns. I would advise you to recall similar cases within your own species, since it is a sufficiently common issue without being compounded by stasis utilization. Don't they have some kind of super beds to protect them? Rick seemed to be choking, but then flashed a room for serious inquiry. I cannot speak to that. They are the medical systems aboard the station is fairly basic and possesses some medical templates, but nothing that I would suppose as being a cure-all if I'm interpreting the lexicon correctly in your vernacular. Fair enough, I guess. It still feels strange to be this far into the future, and there is not just that much more. Rick shrugged again. Please elaborate. There's no super tech. None of the items that we were researching or had in our stories of ridiculous technology that shouldn't work or wouldn't likely work within our lifetimes. It's also uh, basic. The tech in that bay. Sure, there's a few things I could read or maybe work, but it all looked like a standard outburst. Other than Xenos, there's just nothing to really get excited about. Rick's gesticulated rather vigorously at the region around them. Is there a particular type of technology that you would want to determine if it exists? Manto was connected to the Galnet and poised to search. Elevators. I always wanted to see them make that work, Rick said without even a moment's hesitation. Teleporters being translocation of living being from one location to another without the organics being created and destroyed to eliminate the tissue with a semi-instantaneous cloning. Manto asked, skeptically already. That's it. It's something I grew up with hearing about. They talked about making it possible with people within a few years of the colony. Rumors were the Flicks already had some prototypes that they were able to send creatures through. Manto provided several of the related search terms to a generic Galnet query mechanism. Quickly, Manto was inundated with all manner of fictional accounts of this particular type of technology. It was, in fact, not as simple as the Terrans appeared to suggest. And while it was a common theme within fictional accounts, no practical versions appeared to exist. You are correct that such technology does not appear to exist, Manto said after a few minutes' worth of review. See, I want to know what the Flicks manage, but I'll bet they made it work. But that'd be even stranger since nobody else appears to have that kind of tech. Do you have an alternate that perhaps is more likely? Mantu requested. Well, uh, I mean, I know you exist, so that's something at least. Rick shrugged and appeared to think a bit more. Has anyone built a Nevian or a Brosen Sphere? Mantu felt utterly strange at finding neither of the reference within the lexicon, although they suspected that it had to do with the Terran's understanding of the concepts. I'm unable to determine the base concept between either, so a clarification is needed. Megastructures so big they encompass an entire star, Rick grinned. His eyes slightly glazed as though seeing such a thing within his own memory only. Monty ran a query for stellar-scale megastructures. This too was met with significant quantities of fictional accounts as well as a number of economics arguments by various species for and against the construction of such structures relative to the perceived benefit or loss. One such economic argument considered the use of the complete stellar enclosure channeling the enclosed energy into a means of powering computing structures capable of outclassing tacits by several orders of magnitude, as well as providing a system with all the energy capacity it would need without any supplements or extraneous technologies. 
The counter to this was that such stellar enclosure would severely impact the utilization of the system beyond the enclosure, and the enclosure itself would suffer severe issues, not only with material construction needs to complete such a task, but also likely require near-constant adjustment to ensure the tidal forces and the void debris did not impact the operation of such an enclosure. One group of beings had broached the subject with an enclosure that was in complete variant, thereby significantly limiting the material costs, the logistics of support, and the impact of the system beyond. The rebuttal to this argument was that the cost-benefit ratio for such an endeavor would not be sufficient for the species to warrant taking the time and energy in creating such a structure, particularly when fusion systems are so common and so easy to maintain at the smaller level. This rebuttal even included the economic difficulties they were commonly experienced in attempting to maintain large fusion systems, let alone a stellar-sized one. The arguments appear to devolve from scientific concerns to more personal and all species-centric concerns, but it had made its point. Due to the economics involved in the construction of most stellar enclosures, even partial ones, it does not appear that any have been made by any species on record, Munter told Ricks. That's what I mean. It's weird, and frankly boring. In the midst of your contemplation of your place in the present time compared with what proposed by the researchers and fictional accounts of your time, I've been given a menu of food stores available from Blind. She has indicated that she would appreciate gratitude in this gesture. Manta decided to shift the discussion, decided to look around at technologies that may interest the Terran as being futuristic. Is this because I don't want mealworms? Bricks asked flashing a self-awareness rune, which didn't entirely fit, but the discrimination between that and the rune the Terran meant was due to an emotional context that Manto would have to revisit at a later time. In part, it appears that your rejection of sharing mealworms with her was perceived as rude, in conjunction with our request for an alternate menu, Manto said. I believe I was able to persuade her that it is also a matter of biocompatibility that we received the menu. I shouldn't like to accidentally have a nice big bowl of arsenic, Ricks leaned forward and looked at the menu that Manto had sent to his scroll. I do not have insights into your food systems. Is there a malfunction that I need to be aware of? Manto asked. Not exactly. It's just that it's a set menu with only a few months worth of stocks. Ricks scrolled, appearing to squint at the various items. Is it not equipped to mass repurposing systems? Manto was surprised to ask this, given how familiar the Terran had been with the portable printer and mass scoop. Not on the ship the size of the Esperanto. Maybe a destroyer size, but that's just a matter of logistics. Hard pack several months' worth of rations on a ship that size. Most smaller ships just pack rations, though. Not even sure my reactor could run one if I had one, Rick said, appearing to be adding annotations to various items in the menu. Such as the portable printer and mass scoop that are currently connected to this vessel, Manta suggested. Rick looked up for a moment and over to the walking frame. Yeah... Something like that, maybe. I guess we'd have to check and make sure that we aren't going to run out of reaction mass trying to make me six meals a day. Plus, we still have to figure out templates that work. Last time we tried, we got raw meat and some kind of jerky. Might have been some kind of xenogote by the taste. Ricks cocked his head to one side. Do you not have a means of meal preparation? Mantu pressed, having partially solved the issue internally thus far. Not on the Esperanto. They left that part of the gallery off so that they had enough room for all the shielding. How is it then that I've seen you consume warm foods and beverages? Chemical packs designed to provide concentrated thermal energy. They didn't even give me space for a radio reheater. I mean, I was already supposed to be on board for a month or so. 
and then they'd have moved me over to a working station to service duty. So, it wasn't going to be a matter in any case, Rick shrugged. Is the Esperanto rated for atmospheric flight? I'm uncertain I would agree with the assessment that it is. Manto looked at the drives via the virtual side-eye. Nope. They were going to strip it down from orbit from parts. Or add some boosters once we got there so I could land it, and they could break it down for parts there. Ricks appeared to look longingly at the walls around the pair. Would this not pain you as a captain of the vessel? Manto asked, seeming to sense what the Terran wasn't expressing in ruins. It would have, but I wasn't like it was my last ship. The Essentia, that was my baby. I wonder what happened to it? Ricks asked, thumbing the ruin for a rhetorical question. Manto had already presupposed the Terran was asking a rhetorical question. The Terran was full of them, and truthful answers were rarely ever welcome. The idea that this essentia was broken into its component pieces somewhere in the years past, or otherwise utilized or lost infinitesimally unlikely. Henrix almost certainly knew this. Manto guessed that more of what Rix was asking was less about the ultimate fate of the vessel, and more about what manner of travels the ship had taken, since he had relinquished it. To whom did she relinquish the vessel? Manta tried. Her relative. She'd had graduated her basic. I figured it would be best for the Essentia found its way with her. Especially since I wouldn't be around to keep an eye on either of them. Rix's eyes glazed with memory. The pair sat in silence for a period of time. Why did you believe it to be unlikely that you would not see them again? Manta guessed. I lied before, Rix said quietly. Manto checked through their conversations with the Terran and tried to determine when and where the Terran had lied. About what? Manto asked. The trip was a lot longer before I crashed out, Rick said. By how much? Manto tried looking back through their stellar cartography records, trying to guess just how far the Terran could have been coming from. Ten weeks. Ten weeks in real space time is not a substantial difference, Manto relayed. It was still a difference, but not the difference that the Terran was making it seem. Ten weeks in jump space, Ricks corrected. Mundo instantly started running the numbers and everything the Terran had told them about jump drive. Ten weeks in jump space at near ten, 1 to 10 ratio, Mundo using the departure chronometer's differential and the attached station chronometer and adjusted for the timing provided by the jump drive systems to get a more exact measurement, equated to nearly 100 weeks in real space. Given further than semi-log function of long jumps as far as Ricks had described, in 11 weeks, the Terran would have crossed the whole of acknowledged galactic society, crossing from the most distant colony in the Bintu to the homeworld of the Sol system of the Whitrick in a fraction of the time that the journey should normally take, and experiencing far less that time within the same degree of travel. It, it was staggering to even consider. Such a trip would have been nearly impossible for early FTL travel. Mondo even calculated the standard number of jumps that would require for conventional FTL to cross such a distance, an even reasonable amount of time. Why did you lie? Mondo asked, still running numbers. Because it's what I told myself. If I didn't like it, it was only a week's trip back. It's what I told them all. Just going to go set up a new colony and I'll be back in a few years, Rick said. His voice still quiet, the normally moving hand seemingly frozen in position. Except you suffered an equipment failure, Manto comment, trying to make Ricks feel better. There is no colony here. Never was. And they've never heard of Terrans. Means they never made it. Maybe it means nobody made it. Ricks's voice seemed almost defeated. How is that likely given the significant degree of protection and effort placed in ensuring the vessel operations? Manto asked. Practically zilch except for one idea. Ricks's voice seemed to take on a bit of an edge in that moment. Manto kept silent 
but flashed the elaboration requested rune. Sabotage. End of chapter. I'd quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and patrons. Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Lord Andrical, Dragzoon WRE, Holly's sister, Ambrose Cattell, and Quantum Wednesday. Thank you very much.